Welcome back, everyone. My name is Mike LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Junior Wealth Management. And welcome to Mike on Money, where we uh, cover every week what's going on in the markets, what we see upcoming, and we, uh, we take a deep dive into uh, different, uh, different topics. And this week, we're going to be covering off uh, the new stimulus package in the United States, the $1.9 trillion uh, that the Democrats just approved and what that means to the markets and what we're seeing out there with that. Uh, but with that, thank you for joining us. Uh, as always, uh, you know, everything that we cover here is for information purposes only. Uh, do not take it as advice uh, or solicitation. Always do your own due diligence or reach out to us or, or seek the advice of professional advisors before applying any of these, um, any of this information or strategies into your portfolio. It's always wise to take a look at your own situation and how that might apply or be effective for you. Uh, and of course, if you're watching live today, uh, feel free to ask any questions at the Q and A, uh, or if you'd like, or you listen on the podcast or the replay on YouTube, just go to our website, uh, mikeonmoney.com. There you can ask us questions, you can book meetings, uh, and you also can access the library of all our other videos and contents uh, that you might be interested in and in, in looking up. And, uh, and, and as we always ask, love to hear feedback, uh, any ideas any topics you'd like us to uh, to cover off in these or our weekly Mike on Money videos that we put out on Friday. Oh, and it's National Puppy Day. I was off last week, so thank you for everyone for being patient. I wasn't, I didn't do a video. I went up to Whistler, skied with my boys for a couple of days, and those are my two pups. So it's National Puppy Day, so everyone out there who have a pup, you know, give them extra treat on us. So with that, let's jump into what's going on in the economy. Uh, U.S. Uh, new home sales are out uh, for February, so we'll take a look at those. Uh, so the stock futures, uh, edge a little bit lower. We're seeing, we're seeing a little bit of weakness out in the markets. Not much. Uh, not in the broad markets anyway, in the S&P 500. The NASDAQ, we've seen a li little bit more weakness over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Dow down a little bit as we've seen oil pull back slightly. Uh, nothing a big concern there, just a little bit of slowdown from the, uh, from the hedge funds or the, uh, the big money managers in the U.S., uh, as they slow down a little bit, uh, as oil's had a bit of a, a bit of a run, uh, nothing to be concerned about. But we'll take a look at that in more detail. Uh, and the Fed's are, are hopes of inflation cycle and stable uh, expectations, as we're seeing some price rises. Uh, you know, and we've talked about this quite a bit. The U the U.S. Fed Reserve. You know, main has a mission to maintain those stable prices for a few years without having to raise rates. Um, you know, they uh, they start to see some price rise in, uh, in some of the inflationary uh, areas uh, that you know is creating some red flags for them. Uh, but at the same time, they're, they're doing some shifts to try to keep that stable pricing out there. Canada's doing the same thing, again, trying to avoid the uh, the rising interest rate environment. Uh, Wall Street's year of bust and boom, uh, you know, Wall Street's giddiness in the recent weeks uh, is a stark contrast, you know, given what's gone on a year ago, uh, this week or this last week, a year ago is where the markets hit their lows last year. It has been a whole year uh, working from home. It has been a whole year of uh, pandemic closures. Uh, and, and now we're seeing a lot more optimism out there in the markets 
uh, as the economies are starting to turn around, uh, we're seeing some positivity. Uh, we'll cover that off when we talk about unemployment numbers. Uh, of course, we are seeing that bit of inflation, which is a bit of concern, uh, but this new round of stimulus is out there, uh, and as well as the vaccine is, is starting to, to lift a little bit of that gloom on the outlook anyway. Oil prices left a little bit vulnerable. As I mentioned, some institutional funds slowed down their buying, uh, but that's after some pretty hefty investment. It doesn't mean they're selling, uh, just we've seen a little bit of a volume uh, ease off a little bit uh, on the oil side of things. Uh, not, uh, not a concern. Uh, we'll look at that actual movement there. Uh, in, in fact, with the recent upward trend we've seen, uh, in the pricing, uh, this small little uh, downtick was uh, was pretty insignificant in the, the uh, bigger picture. Uh, the housing market, I mentioned the U.S. They just put out the housing sales. Uh, they did see a drop, um, you know, to a six-month low, uh, basically due to the cold weather in February. No one likes to go uh, house shopping in the middle of winter. No, especially if you're in the southern states where they got hit really hard in February. Of course, we saw what went on in Texas and many other states down there. Um, you know, it, also we've seen a small rise in the uh, in the mortgage rates uh, as we've seen the 10-year bond uh, pricing fluctuation. Uh, so a little bit of slowdown there, but nothing we expect to, to really uh, continue. Uh, March numbers actually looking pretty good. So uh, we'll see how those finish off, but uh, we don't see that as a major concern. Uh, Goldman CEO talks to their junior bankers uh, about sending them more resources their way, uh, letting them log off, maybe not work on Saturdays. So this goes to uh, some accusations that uh, some of the bankers uh, Goldman's were making that uh, they were being worked too hard, the demands were too high, the deadlines were too short, uh, and uh, Goldman CEO is basically saying, oh, we'll, we'll try to give you more resources, we'll try to make this easier on you. Um, as you move, uh, as we move forward, uh, I really wish they would have made things easier on us when when I started in the industry, you know, twenty some odd years ago. But you know, at least someone's going to get a Saturday off in their junior years. We'll see how that turns out. Uh, U.S. senators are pressing Biden to set an end of date for gas powered car sales. Uh, so this is out of California. Not a big surprise. I think I mentioned this uh, three, four, five months ago uh, when the U.K. announced uh, in twenty. 2030, I think it is. Um, there's a few different countries that do different dates, but the UK, I think it's 2030 that they're not going to allow any new gas-powered car sales. Uh, in fact, Quebec, I think, is uh, 2035. Uh, they're going to phase it out. And no surprise, California, which has been on the forefront of uh, you know clean, clean vehicles, uh, higher emission standards, and all these different uh, uh, programs to reduce uh, car emissions or car pollution. Uh, they are very susceptible to fog down there, uh, that they would be pushing for uh, the U.S. to, to, uh, to move to that same, that same standard of getting rid of uh, or, or stopping sales of new gas-powered vehicles. Uh, we'll have to see, you know, of course, uh, under the Trump presidency, uh, there's a lot of uh, White House pushing, uh, even suing California uh, to back their uh, standards off because uh, they were uh, much more aggressive than the rest of the country was. With their U.S. sorry, with their car emissions, uh, so not a big surprise that uh, you know California is trying to not only reinstate those but taking it further. Uh, this might become a mute point uh, as car manufacturers start to shift their production. Anyway, uh, you know by 2030, I think um, uh, certainly Volvo, uh, 
Volkswagen, uh, Toyota. Uh, those three for sure, I think, have committed to go to full electrics uh, for their own, their lineups. Um, you know, the Ford GM and that, I don't think, uh, you know, they've definitely committed to have way more electric options, um, but I don't think they've gone full electric by then yet. So the, it might be a natural shift for the industry. Um, so we'll have to see what the White House does or Congress does. Uh, when it comes to uh, to the U.S., uh, whether they set a firm date uh, or whether they just let the uh, the market dictate the the transition itself, uh, U.S. Trade Chief Tai is focusing on the China uh, trade um, with the first call. Obviously, there's been a lot a lot of animosity with the last administration with China and the U.S. when it comes to trade. Uh, but with that, they're also uh, working with other countries like Canada, Britain, and, and the EU where uh, the last administration obviously had a lot of challenges when it came to uh, international relationships in regards to trade. So, you know, the new administration is out there basically saying we're going to, to try to repair some of these things or, or at least move them forward. With the, there's definitely a stalemate kind of going on, even pre-pandemic. If you think about uh, this time last year, uh, January, February, uh, massive, massive, uh, tariff trade war going on with the U.S. and China, uh, and still lingers to this day. So we'll see how they uh, how they move that forward. With the COVID nineteen rollout, uh, obviously things are getting better. This is what we hope for. You know, uh, in Canada here, of course, we have a slow rollout to start. People were really uh, concerned about you know even September or October whether we'd start to see the vaccine available. Uh, that has certainly ramped up. Uh, you know, I think uh, at the end of last week, we were down to, I think it was age 75 plus, uh, could book their, um, book their vaccines. Uh, I've talked to several people who have gone and, and actually gotten theirs now. Uh, and, and the latest numbers I saw were going to be May, June. Uh, it was going to open up to the uh, 18 to 69 age group, uh, which is pretty much um, most uh, most age groups, just the uh, the young kids left to do after that. Uh, so that's very positive. Obviously, uh, this has been, you know, with the mass vaccine rollout and more supply coming in, uh, it's been very positive uh, to to get those numbers up. And we've seen that across across the country here in Canada, and of course around the world. You know, uh, the uh, the U.S. has obviously uh, really wrapped things up. Uh, we're going through their uh, Biden's promise for 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days. I think it was day 57 uh, that they hit the 100 million mark down there and, and obviously are um, continuing to wrap that up. And the UK uh, getting through 50% of the population now uh, have been eligible for the vaccine. So, you know, they continue uh, to, to progress forward. So hopefully as this gets through, uh, we'll start to see some reopenings. Obviously, right now we're in the middle of spring bait here in Canada. A lot of concerns around travel uh, and whether that's going to mean another spike. So I know uh, some of the uh, provinces are still keeping pretty strict um, uh, rules in place and aren't looking at lifting anytime soon just to try to get through, I think, uh, spring break and then Easter. And then hopefully, hopefully we'll start to see some some things opening up again, or more things opening up again. So with that, let's take a look at the economy or the markets uh, coming up in the U.S. I mentioned the U.S. 
economic calendar, we have the new uh, home sales, which we talked about. Uh, you know, the Commerce Department is expecting to show the, the dip in home sales. Uh, sorry, they did show the dip in home sales. Um, you know, dropping just shy of 50,000 units, uh, you know, from the from the numbers in January. Uh, and they're also likely to show a bigger uh, account deficit uh, widening. Um, you know, with that, again, we had a lot of the storms, February building permits were, were pretty much on schedule for the rest of the year. So not concerned that this is a, a trend. Um, the U.S. just saw some pretty nasty weather, which stalled uh, certainly stole things around housing uh, in the U.S. and, and on the commerce side. Uh, there are having the, uh, the Fed Reserve Chair, uh, Jer uh, Powell, sorry, is uh, scheduling a virtual testimony on, on the COVID aid relief package and the uh, Economic Security Act uh, before the House of Finance Committee. So just giving them an update on that package uh, and how that rollout is going to work. There's a lot of pieces in that package. You know, there's the stimulus checks, of course, the $1,400, but there was a lot around small businesses, you know, support for schools, uh, support for communities to, you know, kind of reopen uh, and get things back on track. Um, all that, the, the, the money's been set aside, but how that's going to be deployed and exactly how it's going to be spent uh, has not been determined. So still a lot of meetings and discussions to happen around that. A video game retailer, GameStop, they're always in the news. Uh, so this is the company, if you've been following the Reddit story uh, where, uh, where they ran up the stock, uh, they've just put out their quarterly earnings where they've seen a slight, a slight rise in the fourth quarter, fourth quarter revenue as they shifted to more e-commerce business, which is a transition that they, uh, you know, they had to make. And this is what kind of brought them into the spotlight in the first, the first place where you know, they were very brick and mortar and the output wasn't good. Uh, they still have a big road ahead of them, uh, but uh, those Reddit users are still keeping that price up uh, pretty high. I think last I looked, it was still around 180 US, um, you know, and that's from $20 US uh, before all this started. So, uh, so we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, it is a bit of a trade in frenzy on it. It did rally back up a week or so ago, well into the mid 200s uh, before it pulled back again. Um, you know, it's all being driven by volume. There's real, uh, there's really not a lot of fundamentals to have it at this, this price anyway. Um, not to say that it's necessarily going bankrupt, but it's uh, certainly hard to justify these prices on it. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court rebuffed Facebook's appeals in its user tracking lawsuit. So there's a class action lawsuit against Facebook, one of many, whether it's antitrust uh, or they're suing Apple, you know, the, these tech companies. Uh, it's hard to pick a side uh, or, or really, you know, they make so much money. Sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to worry about, uh, you know, who wins what. It seems like they're just trading cash. But right now there's a class action lawsuit on, on Facebook uh, where they were illegally tracking the activities of their users uh, when they were logged out of the platform. So, you know, technically, if you log out of an app, uh, you, you, you might have the expectations that that app's no longer tracking you or uh, it doesn't, uh, it's not receiving any of your information. Uh, funny enough, that's not true of many apps. Uh, in fact, we've seen studies, uh, you, you know, where computer experts or, or tech experts will be able to go in and uh, basically follow you, you know, whether you Google search, I think one of the examples I saw, you know, uh, a parent had Google searched the uh, theater for a certain movie uh, and the show in times, uh, you know, then they uh, took a picture 
on the phone, and then you know they drove and used the traffic app. Uh, basically, through all these apps, um, which all sell their data, uh, they were able to piece together and follow someone for a week every single place they went, where they shopped, what they spent money on, and everything else. Uh, you know what their interests were, how old their kids were. Uh, so you, you just be aware there, your apps do do this, and there is a big lawsuit against uh, Facebook for that. Um, and they do sell that data. So you know if you know what you're doing, and you're you know you can bring all that data from all those apps together, you can you can actually track people. And a lot of companies do that to track your spending habits. You know what your interests are, what you like. So you know if you've ever been shocked by an ad that pops up. Uh, for something exactly what you've been looking for, it's probably why you've been just been targeted by by your online presence. Now there is a new feature with Apple. Uh, um, Apple's moving forward on a feature where you're going to be able to turn that off by app. So that means you can go to each app and say, "No, I don't want that uh, to happen." And that's another lawsuit where Facebook and others are suing Apple to not put that in. Uh, because of course that will cut into a lot of their revenue because uh, they sell that data over to their advertisers uh, to be able to track you around that stuff. So some just to be aware of that. Uh, hopefully Apple and I'm sure the other uh, the other platforms will follow suit. If Apple puts those through, uh, we'll have the ability to turn that off shortly. AstraZeneca, uh, of course, a lot of controversy around AstraZeneca over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the U.S. trial uh, data, uh, you know, kind of came out to give confidence around um, that, uh, you know, the blood clotting that we've seen, or sorry, the UK, oh, sorry, back that up, that the uh, that Europe, I, I think it was Sweden and Germany and, and another country uh, saw uh, some cases of blood clotting that people dying or getting very ill uh, due to some blood clotting after receiving that AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. Uh, so there's another deep dive in, into the trial data um, they found that uh, no, sort of their conclusion was no, it was not, you know, caused by it, that, you know, yes, these patients had blood clotting, uh, but blood clotting uh, was from other, other sources. And, and I think one thing to keep in mind, especially when we talk about any of these vaccines, is so far, a lot of the people that have received it are people who are, who are high risk or already, um, you know, medically um, you know, diminished or older. Uh, so they are susceptible to these other illnesses or these other, uh, uh, you know, unexpected uh, health events. And, uh, and what the study came out with is basically AstraZeneca didn't cause it, or there was no proof to say uh, that it caused it, that, uh, that these people might have had those blood clots regardless of the vaccine uh, that they received. So, uh, so that's what came out. So, uh, out of the U.S., so a bit more confidence. The EU did reopen. I know a couple of countries stopped. Uh, they did reopen uh, using AstraZeneca. Um, now, I know there was some uh, talk this morning on some of the trial data as to uh, how old it was or how new it was. Uh, so that I think this debate is going to continue. Uh, but overall, I think the ones that that I saw of the uh, the data was out of 17 million AstraZeneca uh, injections, uh, three cases of blood clotted. Uh, and they actually would have expected to see more of that uh, just naturally uh, as, as you know, blood clotting is something that happens in the general population. So that's, uh, that'll be an ongoing story we'll, we'll, we'll stay on top of because of course Canada is, is got AstraZeneca approved. 
uh, and they continue uh, to, to use that one. Hopefully we're gonna see the Johnson & Johnson one uh, more massively available in Canada here soon as well. Uh, <clears throat> low tips, long waits, uh, DoorDash, um, you know, dealing with, with their drivers' uh, complaints. Uh, basically what we're seeing, you, you know, we're seeing this, uh, you know, here in Canada as well, Uber Eats, uh, you know, of course, deliver from restaurants, DoorDash deliver from restaurants, but they're expanded out. You can order from grocery stores now, you can order from liquor stores, you can order almost anywhere. Uh, it's almost a taxi service for delivery uh, with, uh, with DoorDash and some of these other providers. Uh, but they're dealing with a lot of the independent drivers kind of being a bit angry where uh, on the grocery deliver, delivery service, uh, they're not getting the tips. And for the drivers, a lot of their income comes from the tip as they don't get paid much from the apps themselves. Um, you know the the fees inside the uh, the apps tend to go to the the company, not the driver. And uh, I believe that there's a flat, small rate that goes to the driver. It's a different model with uh, with each provider, but um, but most of their incomes come from the tip. So you know they're being forced by DoorDash to offer this uh, other services like merchandise and grocery delivery. Uh, but their income is much, much lower, obviously, on those services. So there's a bit of back and forth going there. Tesla stock rallied after ARK Investment uh, predicted a $3,000 stock price. So if anyone's followed me or my comments on, on Tesla, uh, I'm not bashing the company. I, I think the company is great. I think they have a really amazing product. Um, but $3,000 stock price is, is, is a bit, I think it's a bit aggressive where it is right now and it's even off its highs. Um, I think it was trading at uh, 660 this morning in the US. Uh, you know, it was over 900 at one point. Um, you know, and really the, the reason why I say that is, is just the, the growth in their market uh, or in their sales um, and the revenues they make. You know, they actually, the, most of the revenue is not made on, on, on selling the car. They actually lose money on selling the cars. Uh, they're making most of their money on uh, carbon credits or credits from the, from the states, uh, different states or, or uh, credits from uh, the governments. So, uh, so you know, to justify the rally up that they've had in their, their, their stock price, uh, as well as to get to 3,000, uh, I think would take a lot, um, you know, a lot of growth uh, in the midst of a ton of competition coming to market here. And I've talked about it before, so I won't dive too much into that. Um, you know, I really think the, uh, the winners here are gonna be the supply chain um, uh, companies that, that, that bring the, the materials into uh, the building of these cars or vehicles, um, you know, the, whether it be battery, battery metals, or uh, components, there's a lot of electronic components that go into these. So, uh, you know, I think that's the area of growth not necessarily uh, betting on one particular manufacturer because I think the competition um, is, is just going to be exponentially uh, bigger over the next year to three years uh, as more and more uh, of these car manufacturers commit to electric vehicles. And that includes the hydrogen and hydrogen electric or the, or the, or the electric plug-in hybrids. Um, Blackstone is rolling the dice to do an acquisition in Australia. Uh, so Blackstone is a financial group. Um, and they're doing a private investment. They're taking the casino uh, operator Crown Resorts uh, for 6.2 billion. Uh, they're taking it, uh, it it's in, had a really tough year, obviously with all the closures 
Um, uh, but so here's a cash injection, uh, which give them a bit of a reprieve from regulators uh, on their uh, on their cash flows and on their uh, their working capital minimums. Uh, so they're taking them private, uh, and this goes back to what we talked about in, in past weeks. Uh, we're good. We're going to see a lot of probably M&A and acquisitions when we look into hospitality and entertainment, because those areas, of course, were decimated over the last year. Yes, they've started to move up a little bit, uh, but certainly haven't started to see the revenues return and their valuations have been reduced. So there is going to be some opportunities for some mergers. There's going to be opportunities for acquisitions, uh, as we saw through the energy sector all through 2020, uh, as it was hit hard. Um, we're going to see it very much so I would think on the hospitality entertainment uh, uh, areas as well as uh, as the healthier companies uh, decide to uh, pick up some uh, less healthy companies uh, for the turnaround. Uh, coming up in Canada, uh, the Deputy Governor General of Bank of Canada is scheduled to address the Toronto Professional Group, so there's a big conference in in Toronto, just talking about the overall market-wide stress, uh, the of course the interest rate volatility or potential volatility because of inflation, and just generally where the Bank of Canada sees the economy going. So we'll keep an eye on that uh, that conference. Uh, that there's a lot of virtual, uh, well, it's all going to be virtual uh, with some in-person meetings, but it'll all be broadcast. So we'll stay on top of that as well. Uh, if you haven't seen the news, CP Rail, Canadian Pacific Rail, is buying up Kansas City Southern Rail deal, uh, boosting its, uh, its its farm sales. So that's a $25 billion deal. It's the first time a Canadian rail company is going to have a, a Canada to Mexico network. Uh, so this is uh, good in a lot of ways. So not only, uh, you know, the cross-Canadian um, transportation, which a lot of our goods move across Canada by via rail, but now the north-south line, uh, and, and on the heels of the Keystone pipeline being canceled, uh, you know, this is going to be positive for the Canadian oil market. They'll be able to transport it by rail uh, and, and all our other goods as well, kind of north-south. So uh, a good opportunity for CP. I think good opportunity also for the supply chain for uh, Canadian exports to the U.S. Uh, Huawei lawyers are uh, to focus on a witness refusal to testify. So this is the ongoing extra, uh, extradition case of the Huawei CEO, uh, sorry, CFO uh, to the U.S. Um, and been going, I think it's almost two years now. So one of the, the lead Canadian uh, officers that uh, was uh, there during the, uh, the arrest um, is refused to testify at the case. Uh, so, of course, their lawyer is jumping on that as to why and maybe it was inappropriately coordinated. Uh, and, and that's been a bit of their argument uh, the whole way along is whether the U.S. gave the right information or um, to, to the Canadian uh, police uh, for the arrest uh, and extradition or whether uh, they arrested her without the proper um, documentation in place. So ongoing, of course. Uh, and, and probably not going to end anytime soon. Uh, the deal with Canada's CP, uh, CPP uh, pension fund is buying a 45% stake in a Brazilian sanitation company. Uh, so they're taking that private, uh, you know, just expanding on infrastructure uh, and taking a 45% stake there in the privatization of that. Uh, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Obviously, a lot of things going on in Brazil. I, I think, again, this is a big value purchase. 
where the valuation is quite low, but they see expanded uh, as hopefully things improve in Brazil over the next uh, the next uh, three six months. On the forex side, the U.S. dollar rose a bit, a bit around worries of, on the international economic stability. Focused mainly in Turkey, uh, the central bank governor was fired. Uh, you know, after some UK-EU tensions over vaccine exports um, and uh, safe haven, safe haven, sorry, uh, assets being um, kind of hidden away in Turkey. So. Uh, international concerns, as, as we've always talked about, whenever we have international or even domestic concerns, uh, the flight to safety is the U.S. dollar. So not a bit of surprise, not really a, a change in trend on the U.S. dollar, just a small uptick uh, while that gets worked out. And as I mentioned, the U.S. Uh, bond 10-year note, we've been following this one. This is really kind of indication of where inflation uh, might be going. Um, we've seen it kind of uh, go from uh, just below 1% uh, in January, all the way up to, uh, you know, where it is to 1.68 on, uh, on Monday. It's pulled back down a little bit. Uh, probably going to tick back below the 1.6 again, uh, but it is showing that those numbers. Remember, uh, 1.8, 1.85 uh, is where we're really going to see some inflationary pressures on the Fed uh, when it comes down to inflation. On the commodity front, I mentioned oil. Uh, we did see that pull back about 1.7%, 1.6%. Not huge, but a bit of a movement. And we also saw copper prices, which hit an all-time high or uh, a while back, um, uh, slow down a little bit. Uh, again, just a little bit easier, 0.6. Uh, not really seeing a slowdown in the overall market, uh, just a slowdown in that, that, that growth. And, you know, we can't have a straight line up on any of these things. So uh, just it's uh, just a little bit of stall while the market takes a breath. So with that, let's talk about this $1.9 trillion stimulus package that the market uh, just put out. Uh, obviously, there's dumping a ton of liquidity into the market. So it's very positive when it comes to the economy and investing. I mean, one of the, uh, the great things about this stimulus package, as I mentioned, you know, includes uh, money for small businesses, for communities, for schools. Um, but all the money is going into the hands of people that are going to spend it because the last stimulus package in the U.S. and in fact, a lot of the stimulus that went into Canada, um, uh, some of the estimates are about seven out of the ten dollars that was, was handed out hasn't been spent yet. Right. It was tucked away, um, which is good and bad. It's good that we got through uh, fairly protected uh, or fairly well unaffected. Um, you know, as far as the investments go last year with, with those numbers. Um, but it's also very positive. That means that that $7 is still ready to be spent into, uh, into the economy in 2021. Uh, this package, uh, because there was rules and who got it and how it's being rolled out, uh, is pretty much going into the hands of, 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 or sorry, a larger percentage of it's going to the hands of people that really need it. And so the likelihood that it's going to be spent right away uh, and pumping dollars back into the economy uh, to, to help it re recover, is very positive. So with that, we do see things, um, you know, the stimulus package being a positive thing for the markets. We see a positive thing for the economy. Uh, and, and we certainly saw immediately after it being approved, uh, you know, the broader index S&P 500 being pushed up. Um, uh, you know, higher. And a lot of that was on sectors that did not get a lot of love last year, like banks and energy companies. 
uh, as we, we as we'll see here, a lot of this uh, is shifted from that growth to value, which we you know we did two weeks ago a whole video on the on the fact that you know 2021 we do see values being the more favorable area of the market versus growth, uh, and and certainly that's what we saw start to happen here with the stimulus stimulus package coming out. Uh, and, and of course, that's on the tail of, uh, you know, the very successful or the much more successful uh, vaccine rollout that we're seeing in the U.S. Uh, as, uh, as we move into this uh, 100 days of Biden's presidency. Um, so with that, uh, you know, other areas we're seeing, um, you know, shift is, is that tech, where, you know, despite the, the money flown and liquidity flow in the market, we're continuing to see a pullback on the tech sector. I don't think that means bad things for the tech sector. Uh, in fact, if you followed me since I think pretty much December, I've been saying, uh, you know, there's a lot of names in there that were overvalued, that uh, that cash had to flow out of those names. I still think there's good value within tech. Uh, you just want to be much more targeted than the, than the broad NASDAQ when it comes to uh, your investment for 2021 there, because I don't think a lot of the stimulus uh, package is, is, is going into those dis uh, discretionary items. Uh, this is going to move into those, um, you know, the staples, you know, uh, what, what do people need uh, or where is, where is money need to be spent? And, you know, technology might be as part of that, uh, but I would, uh, you know, really stick with those service and go to the chip manufacturers instead of, uh, you know, instead of chasing after things like Tesla and things like that. And again, going back to the service chain of value, uh, you know, the value managers. And we've seen money, you know, if we, if we look at flow of, of funds and where it's going, we're seeing a flood into value right now. And a lot of that's coming on this new stimulus package. Of course, as we always talk about, inflationary concerns are still there. We have seen, um, you know, uh, so very positive, we've, we've seen some movement on the uh, unemployment numbers. You know, at the high of this whole pandemic, the US got to over 14% unemployment. They're sitting just under 7% now, which you know, is a massive improvement, cutting in half. Um, you know, the real unemployment number is still estimated around 10%. Because when you look at unemployment in, in the US, it's much different than Canada. Uh, every state is different, your qualification is different. Uh, you only qualify if you're laid off, if you quit or you're fired, um, you, you don't qualify. Uh, and there's a bunch of other hoops to kind of go through uh, to, to qualify for unemployment. So, you know, the real number versus reported number are, are, are two different things. So the reported are those people actually receiving unemployment uh, versus the 10% the, uh, the being those who are looking for employment. So, so you know, there's a, there is a bit of discrepancy there, but it is improving. Uh, and the stimulus check, not only giving money to people who might, you know, really need it, who, uh, whose income is suffering, but also that they're spending that money out in the economy, which will, of course, drive um, more business and, and uh, more jobs, more job creation. Uh, one thing that I will mention on that unemployment numbers, it was interesting to see that uh, the largest growth of numbers is, uh, you know, from the public sector. The uh, the government um, the government uh, employment actually has dropped in the United States, so they're not hiring uh, nearly as many uh, that they were previously, uh, and uh, maybe that's a transition going forward. So with that, that's pretty much what I'm going to cover on the stimulus. The only thing I will talk about uh, as well is you know behind this stimulus package, uh, there's probably another not another round of money for the public, but that being said, there's another three trillion dollars 
that the uh, the current administration in the U.S. is pushing forward um, infrastructure. Uh, there's a big proposal for spending uh, and a complete new uh, approach to uh, for the U.S. enemy approach to infrastructure spending. Uh, really looking at ways to uh, improve their infrastructure. Uh, I mean, even under the past administration, uh, they talked about you know the airports and bridges. Uh, you know, being in desperate need of investments and, and repair. Um, but the new administration, uh, Buttigieg, who's uh, head of, of transportation infrastructure, uh, has come out with a plan that obviously is still being vetted and it hasn't moved forward, but uh, a lot of money into transit, trying to move actually away from expanding highways or making them bigger uh, to accommodate more cars, but actually reducing them coming less cars, but making um, better transit, better mass transit to uh, to move people around. So there's, you know, there's a lot of money being looked to be put into that sector in the United States. So I think that's going to be a very important sector that we have to look at when we talk about trend, uh, you know, uh, government spending over this over the next year or two. Uh, and then the other part, which we have talked about many times, is, of course, the uh, the green tech or the uh, green environment. Um, there's another trillion dollars, I think a trillion two of that three trillion that the, the current administration has earmarked for uh, converting to um, more environmentally uh, friendly uh, technologies. And again, you don't even have to get in the argument of whether uh, you know we should be spending on environmental friendly uh, for the planet for our, our next generation. Uh, you know, you can even park that argument aside these days. Um, shift into these technologies are they're cheaper uh they're going to be more accessible uh than the natural you know the old fossil fuel technologies that were there um maintenance is cheaper upkeep of the vehicles are cheaper uh and the more and more that we adopt them like any talk technology the cheaper and cheaper that they get right the more production there is um it becomes cheaper than uh cheaper than producing uh you know fewer amounts that we were before. And, you know, a great example of that, of course, you know, the first thing that the Biden administration did was come out with, you know, here's our new uh, mail trucks that we're going to be buying over the next couple of years, uh, which are all electric. Uh, you know, UPS turned around uh, a week or two later. Here's our new UPS trucks that are going to be all electric. You know, that infrastructure spending on transit and that they're all looking at um, non-fossil fuel solutions. So, you know, as I said, all these things just means that's you know cheaper, uh, and it's not even a question of pushing out fossil fuels. Fossil fuels will just be more expensive than than the green technology. So that means uh, cheaper operations for the uh, for the infrastructure and, and for the operating costs, but also uh, more jobs down the road because now you're creating jobs in this new sector. Uh, those are long-term jobs because that technology is going to be around for a lot, much longer than fossil fuel, which is only going to be diminishing in jobs as we move forward. So I think it's a wise move uh, by the U.S. government. We're going to have to keep a very close eye as, as that rolls out and see, see where that money gets allocated. So with that, I will say thank you uh, for joining us again this week. Uh, I will be back next week at uh, normal time. Uh, and as always, visit us at MikeOnMoney.com with any of your questions or follow-up. We'd love to hear from you and uh, enjoy your week. Hopefully you have a nice, beautiful, safe week out there. Thanks. Bye.